My name's Ian, my wife Bernie, and I think that's all you need to know about us. If you want to know more, there's a number of folk here that have journeyed with us in life, know us well. But I think to make any more of that would make more of us, and we don't want to do that this morning. We want to make more of Jesus. We want to praise Him, we want to honour Him, we want to hear from Him. And so we're just servants and friends. And the one thing I do want to say is that we strongly... Uh, not strongly, but we so admire you and so respect you. Uh, pioneers. We've always loved church planting. Bernie and I have planted a few churches. And we understand where you're at at the moment. These guys have gone out and it's, uh, it's fellow ground. You've got in there. You've started your plant. And we salute you. The, uh, it's never easy planting. There's uh, many things you've got to do, you know, apart from the lack of electricity, but just the <laughs> trying to get momentum and trying to trying to grow, but at the same time, not trying to grow numbers, but trying to grow in depth in our hearts and lives. So Bernie and I salute you this morning, and uh, if we can contribute in any way to help you succeed in all that God has for you, we want to be able to do that. I was thinking this morning, uh, just in terms of the introduction, they say that unless you capture the hearts of the people within the first minute or so, you lose them for the rest of the message. And I, I wasn't too sure of how to bring an introduction this morning. And the best I can do is to say what God is working in my own life. Uh, and obviously this morning as I share with you, it's so real for me. And I would just trust God that He would just bring it to real to you. And inspire and motivate you as we look at the Word of God. May we be encouraged. May we be challenged. May we be motivated in, uh, in not only glorifying Him, but in pressing on and extending the Kingdom of God. So I, I honestly do consider, consider you heroes in the faith, uh, coming out and planting a new church, and we honour you and salute you. And as I say, Bernie and I in any way can contribute uh, to the success of this, we would love to be able to do that. We're honoured to be able to, to uh, stand in this pulpit today and share with you. I'm just going to share from uh, three major areas of scripture in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Or the three main ones that I will turn to. There will be a couple of others. Um, in Daniel chapter 3, it's an interesting story. You would have heard it many, many different times. It's about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's very easy to remember their names because as South Africans we could do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abangala. So it's easy now to remember those names. But these three guys uh, are being challenged in this particular passage of Scripture. Now the I think the, the important thing here is we're going to uh, read about Daniel, Daniel, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it's the backstory that is important here. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What is the backstory to these, these guys? And so, what happens here is that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has built this big idol. Apparently, it was nearly 30 meters high and nearly 3 meters wide. And what, had to, what happened was when the, the trumpets and all the music went, and everybody had to bow down and worship this idol. And we pick it up in Daniel chapter 3 from verse 15. And it says, Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, 
Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now you must admit that that's a, a pretty frightening situation. But if you go back a little bit, this is now 2,500 years ago from now, but this was about 600 odd BC. And these young men have been, been taken into captivity, and at that stage they were but teenagers. Not sure exactly what their age was, but they were young men. So imagine kids from about 12 to 15, that, that age, being ripped away from your family, being taken out of your culture, being uh, put into a foreign land and even getting foreign names. So they've lost their identity in every way. Now you can imagine a young kid of that age, you take the kid of today and take them to that young age and you, you thrust them into exile, into this kind of environment. Now which kid is going to respond like that in today's context? I mean, it's frightening even for you and I. I mean, we would probably say, well, let's just quickly bow down, you know, we're not really going to worship him, but we'll bow so everybody can see, and we'd compromise. But here are these three young men, and they say we, 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 there was honour as they were speaking to the king. But they said, we will not bow down, our God will deliver us, and even if he does not, we will still not bow down. Now, it's so interesting that because it's important to realise the the different culture and environment that these kids found themselves in. And what, what, what was it that enabled them to respond like this? What was that sustaining faith? What was it in, in our context today? And if you, if you follow the news in any way, you will know that the world culture is changing rapidly today. There are many different things that are taking place, from gender issues, uh, the economy, the wars, all of those things that are taking place today they would cause many in their faith to waver. And here we look at this, this situation, very similar, and yet with them, their life was at stake as well. So it wasn't just a matter if you do this, if you don't do this, you're going to be in trouble and get into jail or something. Here they were about to lose their lives. Remembering that they are young boys who were brought up in one culture and are now in another, and they have to serve within that culture, and yet they still retain their identity. And yet they still maintain their faith. What enabled them to do that? And that's the back story. That's what I, we want to discover this morning. Here we go a few chapters onward to Daniel chapter 6. And we know the story there. So what happens is you've got all of these guys and they, they trap the king. They, they did it again when, when Nebuchadnezzar was doing the other. But here they're trapping the king. And they said to the king, look, sign a decree that for 30 days... We're not allowed to worship anybody else but you. And the king signs the decree. And then, of course, Daniel, who was absent from the Daniel chapter 3, we're not entirely sure why, but in Daniel chapter 6, what happens is they sign the decree, and Daniel is in his, uh, 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 he's, a, he's a governor, a senior position. And they sign, the king signs this decree to say nobody else must be worshipped for a 30-day period. And you and I know that Daniel worshipped the one and only true God. So what happens when we go to Daniel chapter 6? And it says here uh, in verse 10, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, so straight from there he goes to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God 
as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plead before his God. And then, of course, subsequently, you and I know that he was thrown into the lion's den. So these guys knew what Daniel was doing. They knew that he prayed, and therefore they sent the king up. And here is Daniel. He'd been compromised, and what happens is that uh, he, from the, when the decree was signed, he went and he continued in his worship, in his faith in God. It's a sustaining faith that you and I are looking for today. We see it's so easy in so many circumstances to compromise. As I said, we don't want to make much of it in our, but we were in Zimbabwe for a while. And when we went in there, everything was happening. The lands were being taken and all of that. And the two things we said when we went in, back into Zim, the one was that we would never lie, and the second one is we would never bribe. I mean, how can somebody stand behind a pulpit having, having lived that kind of life? And, uh, and those were the two things that would sustain you and get you through all of the roadblocks and all of the, all of the things that happened there. And yet, we, we, we drew a line in the sand and said, we are not going to do that. We're not going to compromise our faith. Now, what we want to do this morning is just have a look at this thing of sustaining faith, of just being strong in our faith, remembering that 2,500 years ago this took place. So how does it apply to us today? How is it relevant? Well, I'll give you a scripture in Romans 15.4. You don't have to turn there because we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians a bit later. But it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So today we're taking instruction from the book of Daniel and seeing how it applies to us today. How do we, in, the, in this context in which we're living in, with these massive cultural changes that are taking place, the pressures that we're under today, to compromise the faith that we have in the one and only true God, how do we live this out? And Romans 15 verse 4 says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And that's what we're doing today. We're getting into the Scriptures and we say, Lord, speak to us this morning. Help us, Lord, to grow in our faith. So it's been a great concern to me when we went through COVID and we've all been through that. And the lockdown of the churches and that. The great concern for me was the, uh, the evidence that came out of that of people with either compromised faith or weak faith or a lack of commitment. Now it's not a, not a question of condemnation or anything like that. But it challenged me to say that we as a church, what is it that so many people when lockdown was over, the mandates were done, that so, so many people did not come back to church. I remember how easy it was for us to stay in our pajamas and watch church on YouTube. And it, many people loved that. And it, they stayed in that even after lockdown was over. But there's a compromise there. The Bible tells us that we must not forsake the, the gathering together of the saints. And so what is it when our kids leave home and they've grown up in a Christian home and now they go to university and then all of a sudden they, are, uh, they have all of this peer pressure on them and all of the the temptations that come their way. How is it that some of them will fall away? That challenged me a great deal. And then that's when I turn to the book of Daniel and say, Lord, there are things here that we can learn from. There are things here that will help us when the pressure comes. We may not be uh, losing our lives the same, the same way that they were. But Lord, how is it that we can live out this faith that you've called to? So great concern to me was say, Ian, look at yourself. What is it you can learn from these things? And also, just in terms of the church, what is it we need to be doing? What do we need to be sharing with the church to help them increase and to grow in their faith? 
And so the, what we would do is often we would say, well, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at Daniel. Look at Joshua. Look at King David. We need to become a David, become a Joshua. But we lose the, 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 the truth of the thing. It's the God into whom they looked that saw them through. I mean, we admire these guys. And the thing that strikes me is, you know, we say, well, they must have been guys of great courage. Actually, I think it is because they were men and women of great conviction. You see, conviction enables courage. Courage in it alone, is, it's got fear in it and all sorts of things. But conviction, where you believe something implicitly, and that is what God is calling us to. Even through the book of Daniel this morning, for us to say, God, I trust in you, I believe in you. I think the one thing that has sustained Bernie and I the most in our walk with God is the, the, the appreciation, the realisation of the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign. We don't understand everything that takes place. Uh, we've lost a child. We've been arrested. We've, I've had cancer. We've been through all of those things. And you would say, well, how is it that a Christian serving God would go through those things? Friends, we live in an evil world. Yeah. 1 John five nineteen says the whole world is in control of the evil one. But within that, there is a sustaining faith. There is this for men and women to, to live out the scriptures of God. And he then sees you through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And that's what God is wanting to speak to us about today. So God is the hero in these things. We, we, we respect Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and these guys. But it's, it's God. And, and that is who we turn to. So that's the back story. So let's look at, it's, at the four things that will come out of this, and then we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians, and we bring out another three there. So we go through this pretty quickly. But it was because of who God was, or God is, and how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continued to look at them. Remember when the decree was, was signed, Daniel went straight to his time of prayer. He didn't sort of duck and down. It would have been easy for him to close all the windows and doors and that, and hide away. It would have been easy for them to compromise their faith, to pretend that we're worshipping the idol, when in fact uh, we weren't. You know, we just, oh, we'll bow down and just, we won't, we'll just mumble, we will mumble praise to God. Easy to compromise that kind of thing. But these men and women, these, these guys did not do that. So the, the four things we're going to pick up quickly. The first one is they were focused. They were uh, exposed to severe punishment, even their lives, etc. And their captives even went to the extent of changing their names so that they were completely in a foreign culture, etc. But they were absolutely focused and they'd drawn a line. The same as we did in Zim. No lying, no bribery. Uh, we sat at a roadblock in Zimbabwe, I don't know for how many hours, and we know the guy was just wanting a bribe. And I mean, he, he, but we just, it was so easy. It would be so easy to give him 10 rand or 20 rand, 50 rand, whatever it was. And we would have been on our way. It was hot. It was probably well into the 30 degrees. But we said, let's stand. We draw a line in the sand. So first of all, these guys were focused. They'd made a decision. We're going to serve God and we're not going to compromise in any way. So there was an absolute focus. The second thing was this belief. And I mentioned it a bit earlier on. A conviction. That is what we, what we, what we desire. A conviction that God is who He says He is. And that he will do what he says he will do. The journey to that point may be different to what we expect. But we believe that God is who he is and he will do what he says he is. So there was an absolute conviction. Now I've been challenged as well. You know the scriptures say that we need to train up a child in the way they will go and they will not depart thereof. And I think 
Bernie and I were guilty of it in, in many ways. What happens is that our kids grow up in a Christian home and by default and osmosis, we expect them to pick up this faith. And then, of course, when they leave home, there are many different challenges for them. And unless they have their own faith, they're not riding on their folk, the faith of their parents. They, they can compromise or, or waver. And I've been challenged about that. We've got two little grandkids. The one little boy is six and the little girl is four. And I, I, I was challenged by that scripture, teach the child up the way they should go. And I said, well, how do you do that? And what I've done is I... I sorry, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. I, also, there's this beautiful scripture in Matthew chapter 22. And you and I know it. It says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And we'll preach that from the pulpit. I'll preach it from the pulpit. The question is how? How do you love a God you perhaps have never seen? How do you love a God you perhaps have never heard? How do you love a God that you've just read about in the Scriptures? And I think for me as a, as a member of the church, that is the challenge that where I'm at at the moment. Is how do we go beyond just knowing it to a place of experiential love? And for me, it's things like having a look at the attributes of God, the mercy of God, the, uh, the glory of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God, all of those things, to, to really study them, not just to read about them, or not just to know them, but to, I love going out and, and looking at the heavens, and then I look at different things, and I see planet Earth like a pinprick, and Arcturus like this massive big ball, and I begin to stand there, and, and, and in awe, I begin to worship this great creator. And that's the place we need to get to. But how do we get our kids to that place? How, and I'm growing all of the time. And so what I've did, we've done with our grandkids now, I sat little Gabriel down and I said, Gabriel, how many gods are there? He said, well, there's one God. So how many persons? Now, a little six-year-old, unless you've been working these things and massaging them into their lives, they're not really going to come up with the answers. And so slowly just beginning to share with these kids. Well, there's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, how, did, you know, how did God create? What did He create? Well, He created Adam and Eve. What happened there? Well, you know, they, they, they sinned. Well, what is sin? Those are the kind of questions we're now beginning to feed to our little six-year-old. And the way that I've done that, and I love practical things. And so what I've done is I've, I went onto the internet and I picked up the creeds. I picked up the confessions and I picked up the catechisms. Now, those are all old things, but I've drawn them together and i put them in this. So it's not my own work, but these are all of the, the different creeds. And there's a beautiful section here. Um, this is by Spurgeon. Some of you will have heard about Spurgeon. But it starts with a question. What is the chief end of man? Uh, what do the scriptures say about God? What do the scriptures say about creation? So what we're beginning to do is we're beginning to work through these little things with a six-year-old I want to be, we, we, we're doing a bit of travel at the moment, and I want Bernie and I to be sitting in the car together and just ask each other some of these questions. So what we're doing now is we're, we're taking the Word of God, we're, we're taking Scripture, because there's a lot of Scripture there, and we're taking that, and like these three Hebrew boys, what was it that got them through that? Daniel was 80 years old when he went to the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not sure what age they were when they were compromised like that. But here they were, they maintained their, their, their faith. They stood strong. What was it? And it's because they went back into the Word and they, they, they knew and understand in an experiential way who God was. And as I say, COVID has challenged me in a great deal where I realise as, as churches, 
We need to bring experiential faith into this thing. Yes. Not just talking about, you know, we need to grow in faith. Well, the question is how. So the, 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 the first one was they were focused. They said, this so far, no further. The second one is a belief. They had these deep convictions, which gave them courage. It's the conviction that will give you courage. It's the conviction that God is sovereign. And ultimately, I don't know how the, thing, the journey is, but at the end, I know that God will, will help me deliver me, and the end will, will, will be something that, that God has his very best for me. So it's the sovereignty of God. The third, third one is that they were faithful. Of course, we see that even at Daniel, when he was 80 years old, continued to be faithful, and he was condemned to death for his lack of loyalty to, to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and yet he still continued to believe in God. It says in, in verse 10, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open to Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and prayed. And the fourth one is fearless. They were fearless. And this comes from a greater focus on God than fearing the consequences of our actions. It comes from a greater focus on God than fearing the consequences of our actions. So in other words, we understand that if we do something, these will be the results of it. But God, this is what you say, this is how I should respond, this is what I must do, and therefore I honor and respect you greater than suffering the consequences of the action that I might take. But again, that comes from sustaining faith. You see, the beauty of all of this is the reason that these, these guys could live this out was because they knew God and lived with the conviction that He is who He says He is. And friends, I mentioned it earlier, I, I, do, I follow the news in that. I'm not, not big and I think, for instance, um, the many challenges that are out there, even for us in churches, uh, with the different genders that are coming out and different pronouns and all of that. For me, it's very simple. I just go back to the scriptures. Genesis 1.28 says, male and female, he created him. So I don't know how now Facebook's got 70 or 80 different genders and all of that. I don't need to go down that road. I just need to know what the scriptures say and have that conviction. And so, as we look at that backstory, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians. And we'll begin to end it with this. But it's a beautiful scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. And we're going to take out three things from that. So the question we're asking ourselves is, how is it that we have the sustaining faith? How is it that we grow in our conviction that God will deliver us, that God will see us through? And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5, it says this, Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove, prove to be among you for your sake. Now the danger would be just to read through that. Great words. But if we begin to, to pull out of that now. The truth and the, uh, the evidence of sustaining faith. We see it coming out of this particular scripture. So, so the first one I want to. The first word I want to highlight is the word our. Right at the beginning. It says, because our gospel. Our gospel. So what do they mean here? Is it, does it mean that Paul had a different gospel to somebody down the road? Or this church has a different gospel to the other gospel? No, it doesn't mean that. What it actually means is it's personal, isn't it? Paul was saying, this is mine. 
I embrace this. I believe in it. It's, it, it's a, there's, there's a possessiveness about it. Such a beautiful thing. A, a desire and a hunger for the things of God and the Word of God. It's my gospel. Nobody can take this away from me. It's personal for me. And so, it, because our gospel, and so even as I, I share with you this morning, as I said earlier, I salute you. I praise God for you. That here you are pioneering a new church. Small group of people. But we've got our gospel. This is our truth. It's from the Word of God. And as we, as we build our foundation on this Word, uh, we're going to see God expand us and grow us and give us influence beyond our own local church. But it's our gospel. It, it's the gospel that has done a work inside of each and every one of us. And so even as we read the Word of God, we say, God, thank you for this Word. Thank you, Lord, that you'll help me make it mine. That it's not just going to be black ink on white paper, but it's our gospel. The second thing that comes out of this is it's not, it came to you not only in word. So words are necessary. But who would ever want to go to a church where the preacher was just preaching words? And <laughs> it probably does happen. But who would have gone just to listen to a guy sounding forth? It goes on and says, and words are important. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Paul was uh, in, in Thessalonica for, for only three weeks. I'd love to have sat under, under those teachings. I mean, how do you plan a church for three weeks and then have to run because you're in trouble? And yet for, for this church, it became a model church. It says it was known into the regions beyond. But it's, it, it says that our gospel came to you not only in words. And so what, but what it does is it goes on and says, but also in power. And so what this is saying is that inherent in the word of God is the power of God. That is not just black ink on white paper. But as you and I read the Word of God, as we sit across a coffee table from somebody and just share a scripture or share the truth of the Word of God, there is inherent power in that. We need to believe that. We need to believe that there is power in the Word of God when it is preached. We need to believe that there is the word, power in the Word of God when we sit across the table from somebody. We don't have to concoct anything. We don't have to try to build up a rah-rah about this thing. Then as we share these words, even today as we read about Daniel, we say, God, give us the sustaining faith. Help us, Lord, to grow in our conviction. And that's what this says. It says that it came not only with words, but also in power. So the first one, it is our gospel. The second one, it not only came with words, words are necessary to convey it, but then we understand that as it is shared, there is inherent power in it. And then finally... It says, not only is it our gospel, not only is it in power, but it comes with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've, we, <laughs> we have experienced so often how important it is for us to be ministering and to, to do life in the power of the Spirit of God. We all know that 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We all know Acts 1 verse 8, it says we become witnesses. In the, in filling the, with the infilling of the Holy Spirit to become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So it was not only that the gospel was ours, that it came with power, but it comes with the Holy Spirit. To give you a couple of scriptures just to back that. Acts 1.8, you know, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Romans 15 verse 13, May the God of hope, and that is what I pray for you this morning, friends. I really do. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And then in Romans uh, 15 verse 19, it said, By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricium, I always get that tongue tied, I have fulfilled by the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then finally, the fourth thing that comes out of that, it says there, that came with deep conviction. Um, it came also, not only came with power, but in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And what would that mean to me? It says that it means that there is a surety in that. So that as I share with you this morning, I share with you with a conviction in my heart that this is God's truth. I'm convinced and convicted about it. But not only that, that the hearers themselves will hear it, that this conviction is a word for them, that they will appropriate the word, that they will believe in the word, and as they leave this place, that they will live it out and enact it. So there's this beautiful thing. It says it came with conviction. And for me, it means that the preacher or the, whoever is sharing that word, even if it's over a cup coffee table, it's the conviction that with the words that we bring and the power of the Holy Spirit and the inherent power in the Scriptures themselves, that they will fulfill the plans and purposes of God for which He sent them. And so it comes with this conviction, not only in the one sharing it, but also, Lord, may those who hear the word be convicted in their hearts. And I close with this scripture in Colossians 1 verse 28. Beautiful scripture. Talking about God. It says, Him we proclaim. Friends, that's what we do this morning, don't we? We come to proclaim this great God who's positioned us. Acts 17 says it's not, uh, you're not here just by chance, but you're positioned by God, you've been placed in a certain place. It is Him we proclaim this morning as a church, as a pioneer group, breaking open new ground. It is Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, well God grant us that wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And for this I toil, struggling with all this energy that He powerfully works within me. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. It's God as we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves, discovering from, from the book of Daniel some of the truths of that sustaining faith, and then going through these scriptures here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and saying, God, it is through your word. And that's why I think it's so important for us. I don't know what your, um, your word content is like or your, the, the time that you're spending in God's word. But I'd encourage you to go back into the word. Spend time with God. You know, probably going into dangerous ground here. But sometimes I think there's a danger of doing that, read the Bible in one year. Often what happens is we fall a little bit behind and we quickly want to go and tick those boxes again. So we rush through it. And so it's really just getting boxes ticked than actually gleaning from the Word of God. I don't say don't do it, but just for us to ponder, go, go back to these scriptures, for instance, in Daniel, that we've shared this morning. Reflect on them. Re reflect on the tributes of God. Download these, uh, these, the, the creeds. Go through the creeds again. Go through the catechism. Go through the confessions that the early saints... Uh, put together. And what they did is they went through the scriptures and drew out the truth through these creeds and catechisms and confessions. And as we learn through, go through those things, we find out our word content in increases. And there's inherent power in God's word to help sustain us through the troubled times that we're in. And I venture to say in some of the troubled times that we're about to face. 
So Father, this morning we want to thank you for the, the wonder of your word. We want to thank you, Lord, for the infilling of your Holy Spirit. We want to thank you, Lord, that we are not just children left alone, but Lord, that your heart is inclined towards us. And this morning, Lord, as we've gathered as a group of saints to honor you and to worship you, we thank you, Lord, for touching our lives, for changing our lives, for inspiring us, for challenging us, for motivating us. Lord, that we may be a people that you will smile upon. I pray for our children, Lord God. I have great concern, Lord, for our youth and the children as the culture of the world changes. Father, I pray that you grant us wisdom and be able to impart to them not only the truth of your word, but they would be able to live it out and enact it themselves, Lord. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray for Joe and Kathy, Lord God. And ask that you would anoint them, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd sustain them, provide for them, Lord. That they would lead with wisdom and with compassion and with humility. I pray for these people, Father. That they would be united in heart. That you'd command the blessing here, Father, because these people stand strong in you. And Lord, their confession is on the Lordship of Jesus Christ and on that alone. I consider it a privilege, Lord, to be able to have shared some of your word this morning with them. But we do pray for them. Bernie and I stand behind them. May we blow wind into their sails, Father. And give us the wisdom, Lord, to help to, to, um, to, to blow wind in their sails and to, and to help them as well. So we commit and commend ourselves into your hands, Lord. And we thank you for this opportunity today of coming together to praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. And thank you all. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.